What's wrong with this picture? Take a good long look at that. What's wrong with this picture? Well, guys, um, normally when I'm I'm sent on a on a training uh, mission or global outreach to somewhere, it's usually not a place like this. Lots of times it's in impoverished areas. Lots of the times it's in uh, slums. Lots of times it's in uh, developing nations. But I went on this particular global training time with some pastors to the nation of Brazil. And this is the photo of where the, this conference was held. It was held in the city of Recife uh, along the beach. And uh, I was in one of these hotels someplace. It was a, it was a nice place. Uh, and, and it had this beautiful view of the Atlantic Ocean in the nation of Brazil. And uh, I, I arrived there a little bit early uh, with the, the local leader there. And he was explaining to me. And I, and I came out of one of these buildings. It's an incredible view. And I came out of one of these uh, buildings and I, I stood out on the beach and I noticed something unusual about the beach. Everyone was on the beach having a great time. They were playing soccer uh, or football, as they say in Brazil. They were having meals. They were laughing. They were talking. But the thing I noticed is not, not a single person was in the water. No one was in the water. And I turned and I said, what's with nobody being in the water? And he said, well, one word, sharks, sharks. Tell me more. He said, well, several miles south of here, many miles, there was, a, there was a, an industry that was producing food and so forth, and they were taking the excess meat and just dumping it into the ocean. And they did this for years. And finally, just a short year or two ago, they finally closed them down on that. And they said, you can't do that anymore. In the many years that they had been doing that, this had become a shark fest. This had become a feeding place for sharks, big time. Well, when that was shut off, guess what? Sharks still need to eat. And so they wandered up the coastline to the next place where there was something to feed on. And that was the city of Recife and its beaches. It completely destroyed this nation's coastline, the city's coastline. It's a city of several million people. But no one can go in the water anymore, at least not very deep at all, for the danger so, because so many sharks have come there. Uh, why am I showing you this photo? It's because, you know, you look at it and it, it just looks like the good life. I mean, this looks like incredible, amazing. But peel back the surface and there's something that isn't totally right. There's, there's danger here. There's, there's something that isn't right with it. And that's what I want to talk to you about today about. And, and really, today we're going to go into a, a, a kind of a, a deep learning, I think, about our, our search for significance, joy, and security. Um, everybody is searching for significance and joy and security. And uh, we're going to come to a church that lived in a place actually a lot like Recife. 
A beautiful city, an amazing place. But there were some problems there, especially if you were a believer in Jesus. It got complicated. There were sharks, if you will. And so I want to dive in this together. And my hope and my prayer is that as you interact with this, that you will come away from this with a new perspective, with a new mindset of your search for significance, our search for joy, and our search for security in this world. All right, we come to the book of Revelation. Uh, we've been learning about, it's, it's an unveiling uh, of what Jesus wants to share. That's what revelation means. Apocalypse doesn't mean end times. The word apocalypse, which is the original word for revelation, means unveiling, uncovering. Jesus is sharing to us the realities behind what are the seen realities. He's showing the unseen realities. And we've been diving into this in chapter one. And last weekend, we began with the letters to seven historical churches. And today we come to the second of those seven churches. He says, write this down, and here we go, verse eight, chapter two, verse eight. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. There, there's apparently an angel or a messenger, or maybe it's even talking about the pastor there, the leader there, but it said, write this down to this church, Smyrna. And so John at the island of Patmos is receiving this vision from the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he's to convey what Jesus' words are to this particular church. Now, last weekend, check out the map here. Last weekend, uh, John is writing from Patmos, and then he wrote first letter to the church of Ephesus. And the issue there was, doctrinally, they were like amazing. They had their baloney detectors out. They could totally... Uh, catch any kind of falsehood or false teaching. They didn't fall for it. But the problem was in this zeal for activity and busyness and, and doctrinal truth, their hearts had grown cold and they had lost their first love. And Jesus says, you got to return to your first love. So that was the issue at Ephesus. Smyrna is, a, is just 35 miles north of Ephesus, but it's a completely different place and it's a completely different city. Ephesus was the most important city, but Smyrna was this rival uh, city that wanted to kind of catch up with Ephesus, and it was on the rise. It was a rising super city of ancient Asia Minor, what is today modern-day Turkey. And so as we think a little bit about this, give a little bit of background on this from our good friend at Drive Through History, Dave Stotts, with this short video. Check it out about the church at Smyrna and the city of Smyrna. Next stop on our list, Smyrna. Smyrna, an ancient city now surrounded by the modern Turkish city of Izmir, was originally established around 1000 BC. Greek settlers established old Smyrna on this small peninsula jutting out into the Aegean Sea. Now it was in old Smyrna that the famous Greek poet Homer, author of the Iliad and the Odyssey, was born around 850 BC. History tells us that a shrine to Homer stood in the city during the Roman period. After the time of Alexander the Great in the late 4th century BC, 
New Smyrna was built by the Seleucids along the coast and up these slopes of Mount Pagus. Now this region eventually developed into Asia province during the Roman period and Smyrna strategically located between Ephesus to the south and Pergamum to the north developed into a wealthy port city. In fact, it was one of the most important cities of the entire province with a population of nearly 100,000 residents. During the Roman period, ancient historians said that Smyrna was a city of great beauty and impressive architecture that circled Mount Pegasus like a crown. There was a great harbor, a massive agora, and a theater on the northwest mountain slope that could hold 20,000 people. This wealthy city was also known for its exceptionally good wine. Smyrna was severely damaged by an earthquake in 178 AD, but was quickly rebuilt. Now the layout of the city we see here today and most of these structures are pretty much the same as they were in the late first century when John was writing. So this is a kind of artist recreation uh, that came from drive through history of what this city was like. It was magnificent. The harbor was incredible. The agora, the marketplace was incredible. The amphitheater was 20,000 people. It's just, it's just an incredible place to live. This, if you lived in Smyrna and you had, the, you had this beautiful beach, and today there is a modern city there called Izmir. Check out Izmir here. Um, this is the, I mean, what a stunning place to live. And, it's, and if, if you were lived in the ancient world or in the modern world, uh, Smyrna or Izmir is one of the happening places. That's where you live the good life. I and mean, that's where the, 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 there's opportunity for advancement. There's, there's wealth there. There's prosperity there. This is what Smyrna was like. And, and people that were living, living life, and a lot of people were living the dream. I mean, this is where the center of where you wanted to be. Um, so culturally speaking, they, they were doing what most people do in terms of seeking significance, joy, and security. And most people in, in our culture are seeking the same things. Here's point number one. Culturally, when we think of significance, what we think of is this. We think of, I want to be significant. I want my life to matter. I want my life to mean something. And for most of the time, then when we think of that significance, we're thinking about achievements and the approval, the applause, the recognition of other people. Smyrna as a city was certainly significant, and many of the people there were seeking that as well. The second thing is the joy, and joy is often defined as, you know, good circumstances. I mean, things are going well, so I'm happy, and we, we base our happiness and our joy, our contentment on, you know, how much money is in the account, uh, how things are going, uh, how my job is going, uh, am I healthy, is everything just, you know, perfect, and so if those things are lining up pretty well, then I'm, I'm, I have joy, and if they're not, well, then I'm, I'm unhappy, and that's very typical, and that's, that's Smyrna in the ancient world, and that's America, in, in the modern world. And then the last one, culturally speaking, we define our security as, as having some kind of protection plan in place. We think about security as like financial security. I've got a plan that's gonna, I'm gonna be okay. We think about um, uh, uh, security in terms of our homes and we've got, uh, we've got security systems in place or we at least lock the doors at night. And so we feel like we're safe, we're protected, it's gonna be okay. And so many times, uh, that's kind of how we base uh, 
our, and that's how our search for uh, significance, joy, and security goes, because that's the way we're taught in culture. That's the way it goes. And that was no different in the uh, city of Smyrna in the ancient world. But there were some other aspects of Smyrna that were particularly challenging for believers in Jesus. And just to share just a little bit about those. Um, Smyrna was vying with other cities in Asia Minor to be a site for a temple for the emperor. And they entered this competition with 10 other cities and they won. And they're like, yes! And then emperor worship, that is viewing the emperor as God, a temple was built there. And suddenly this becomes the thing to do. And your, um, your standing culturally was based on, are you going to offer a little sacrifice at least annually to the emperor? This was a big deal in Smyrna. They got other temples. It's a polytheistic pagan culture. And you're expected... Everybody, including followers of Jesus, are going to be expected to kind of move along. The exception to this, we'll get to later, was Jewish folks. Because they had an ancient religion, Rome required cities, even though they didn't want to do this, they said, you got to give them a pass. you got to give them protection. They're allowed to not worship the emperor because they've got this ancient religion. We're not going to bother with them. And there was a large Jewish population in this beautiful amazing place called Smyrna, uh, this really wonderful uh, looking city. Uh, so there was that challenge for believers that they were called upon to worship the emperor. There was also a lot of carnality and, and like a lot of places in the ancient world, religion and superstition and falsehood and evil practices and occult and with that sexual immorality and other forms of uh, just debased behavior was very commonplace. And there was tremendous pressures to, to hit the you know, ancient, basically, strip clubs or, 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 or party places or whatever. And if you didn't go along with that, especially in your job, eh, you, you were in trouble. Does this sound anything familiar to some people? The pressures that we face as followers of Jesus. And so the followers of Jesus in Smyrna are this kind of uh, outcasts and kind of don't fit in and they're the kind of this subculture and they don't really fit in either world. They don't fit in the Jewish world, even though many of them are Jewish, but because they've recognized Jesus as the Messiah and the vast majority didn't, they're kind of viewed as outcasts, enemies. And then many times that group of people who demeaned them and insulted them also got them in trouble with the um, with the civic leaders, with the, with the Roman leadership, with the government, and you were suspect at this point. So there, yeah, it's a great place. It looks great. What's wrong with this picture? There's sharks in the water. And at this point, the normal pathways to significance, joy, and security that pretty much everybody chases in Smyrna in the first century, it, those pathways are not open to you as a follower of Jesus. Because you're not going to have the approval of people. You're not going to have necessarily good circumstances. It could be rough for you. It's a tough place to be a follower of Jesus. And you're not going to have security because actually they actually turn against you. You don't have protection. You lack some of the protections that most everybody else in the culture enjoys. And so... In the midst of that is a man on the island of Patmos, the Apostle John, and he's here and he's receiving a revelation from Jesus to these folks. And he's saying, what are we to think of this? What are you to do about this, Smyrna? And Jesus, in all his kindness and compassion, writes to this church 
It's tough going for you guys, tough sledding. Write this to the church at Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who is dead and who came to life. Here's the first principle. Jesus is now going to point to a different pathway for the search for significance, joy, and security. That pathway is going to run right through the middle of a relationship with Jesus. He says, this is the one you're trusting in. It is in me that you will find lasting significance, joy, and security. It's interesting that Jesus uses the two phrases, first and last, dead and came to life. Because, of course, those are true. Uh, Jesus is the first and the last and that he's the eternal one. And he was dead. He died on the cross for our sins and he's come to life through his resurrection. But it also reflects the culture of the city of Smyrna. See, the Smyrna prided itself on being first. We were first. We, we, we want to overtake all the other cities. We want to be the greatest. We want to be the first and the last. You know, we want to be all that. They also, as was mentioned in the video, they, their city had been destroyed by an earthquake and had quickly been rebuilt. They had rebounded. They were pretty much wiped out as a city and they came roaring back to life. And Jesus says, that's true of where you live, but you're not experiencing significant security and joy because you're going to have to find it in a different place. I'm the first and last. The culture isn't where you're going to find that. I was dead and was raised to life. Yes, this is a magnificent city, but that's not where you're going to find your joy and security and significance. So from the very beginning, he says... You're looking for it in a different place. And these Christians of Smyrna were doing just that. Verse 9, I know your affliction and your poverty. Now this doesn't sound like the good life, does it? It doesn't sound like what everybody else was experiencing. He says, but you are rich. Let's just talk for about the affliction first. The, you know, a lot of times in, in, in a lot of contemporary Christianity today, you hear, you know, if you just follow Jesus, your life is going to go amazing. And we hear it from the prosperity people. They're like, hey, you know, just believe in Jesus, healthy, wealthy, amazing life. And, and that really wasn't the reality for most first century Christians. They had affliction. The word is usually translated tribulation, difficulty, hardships. These could be, because, mostly he's referring to their commitment to Jesus. Now they're outcasts. Now they're this persecuted subculture. Now they're not getting ahead. Now they're falling behind everybody else because the good jobs are going to people who join in with what the culture is doing. And the people who hold fast to Jesus are outsiders now. They're no longer, it's no, there's no social benefit whatsoever. In fact, there's a tremendous social cost to being a follower of Jesus. So there's affliction, there's hardship, there's persecution, there's rejection. Your family may turn against you and walk out on you. You lose your job, which leads to our word poverty. Uh, a lot of believers uh, were not wealthy. Some were, and they oftentimes were the host of the house churches, and they were of great benefit in their generosity, incredibly blessed the, the churches. But most of the people in Smyrna were impoverished. And this wasn't just because they were all coming from the lower classes, it's because they had actually become impoverished. Because standing tall for Jesus after this many years, remember, it's been maybe 40 years since the gospel has been introduced. And now enough time has passed 
that you're on the outside looking in. And a lot of other people socioeconomically are moving forward and many believers in Jesus, that pathway was closed. And, he, and, G, and I love what Jesus says here. I know, I see you. I know what you're going through. And it's hard and it's difficult. He says, but you are rich. And he says, you know, here's the principle. We should expect afflictions in a Christian life. He says in, in another place, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, afflictions. But take heart, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. And we need to understand true wealth. Jesus says, you have riches of the soul. You have riches emotionally. You have riches in heaven. You have a riches in your relationship with me that floods over into the love and hope that you can have in your life and with others who know Jesus. You have riches that the rest of the people, even if they have all the other stuff that brings them temporary security and temporary joy and temporary uh, significance, you have lasting pathway to significant security and joy. So this reorients the way we think about things. And, and so many times, and I just, just tenderly can say to you, it's great if, if you're getting ahead and you're pursuing your career and things are falling into place and it's amazing, that's fantastic. We rejoice with you. And that can be a tremendous blessing and gift from, from God. And, and you just bought a house and, and you, you maybe you got a bigger house or you got a new job or, or, you, or, or something good happened uh, at work. Great, fantastic, celebrate. Those are all blessings from the hand of God. But understand, sometimes being a follower of Jesus doesn't always mean it's all going to be just wonderful. It can look great, but there are some sharks out there. There are some difficulties. And we, are, we, we just need to hear that. But also understand the wealth that we have. And maybe just a reminder, as these early Christians at Smyrna, they understood this. They got the wealth that they had. That's why they stayed faithful to Jesus because they knew what they had in Jesus was way more than what the culture could offer them. He, he goes on, he goes, so that's tough. And then he says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Now these are extremely strong words from a man who is Jewish. <laughs> Understand John is a Jewish man. But he's saying, here's the thing, what's happened and what was happening in the city of Smyrna was, the Jewish people, most of them in that community, um, were not believers in Jesus. They had not embraced Jesus as Messiah. They had rejected Jesus as Messiah. And to John, this is saying that, you know, the very one who, who fulfills all the Old Testament, who, who is the, the fulfiller of, of all the promises of Moses and the prophets, they have entirely rejected. And they preferred a lie that he's not the Messiah for the truth. So they've actually rejected the promises of God. They've stepped out on God. Now, God still loves them, but they have walked away from these promises that are found in Jesus. And what was happening in Smyrna was you, you've got all the people who are called upon to do emperor worship and to go along and, to, and to, to say he's God. You see, the greatest thing is, what do you say? Caesar is Lord. That was the claim. Caesar, the emperor, is Lord. And the believers, the simplest confession of the Christian faith from the first century to today is this. Jesus is Lord. And that comes in direct conflict because the culture says, no, you owe to us your ultimate 
allegiance. And Jesus says, no, they're not God. They're not Lord. They are servants of God. They are in a place where God has placed them. But Jesus is Lord because only one has existed from all eternity. Only one took on human flesh. Only one went to a cross. Only one rose from the grave. And only one can offer you forgiveness, everlasting life, and lasting significance, joy, and security. And these folks were there. These Jewish folks were there. And they were saying, hey, they were basically ratting out believers in Jesus and saying, hey, these guys aren't, they aren't Jewish folks. So they are, should not be excused from emperor worship. Remember we said the Jewish folks were excused from that because of their, but they said, this is some new sect, some weird group. And, we, and they were turning, turning them into the authorities and saying they are not going along. And so this is why you have this very strong language coming from a Jewish man, John. He said, I know the slander. They are slandering you. And they say they are Jews, but they're not because they've rejected their Messiah. They may be ethnically that way, but the faith of Abraham, they do not share. And instead, they become the synagogue of Satan. Synagogue means a gathering place. This is actually, they're believing lies. They've been misled. They've been deceived. And our heart and compassion goes out to them, but, but that's just not right. I understand that. Here's the thing. I know that slander that you're experiencing. Here's the principle. Number four, Jesus knows our hardships. He sympathizes when people make up stuff about us in, in our culture. He, he knows when people are saying false accusations about it. He knows when we're trashed and called haters and and, and racists and, and homophobes or whatever names may be applied to, to faithful followers of Jesus. And I know there's some bad Christians out there, but there's a lot of wonderful followers of Jesus. There are none of those things. And Jesus says, I know that. And that's hard. And, 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 and that costs some of them, not only their jobs, not only the cultural standing they had, but for some of them, it cost them their lives. They were killed because of their faith. And Jesus says, I know. I care. I see you. I know what you're going through. And he values our faithfulness. What you can hear today, you want the approval? You stick with Jesus and he's the one who says, I know. I know it's slanderous. I see that. And I value that you're sticking with me, that you're faithfully following me no matter what. And I love that. So follower of Jesus, you may undergo hardships. There are hardships that all of us experience in life and we aren't promised everything is gonna be great. And there are specific hardships that we experience because we are followers of Jesus Christ. Paul said, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's gonna be hardships that come our way. There's gonna be opposition. It's not to the level of what they experienced at Smyrna, but it's still there for us. And for many believers across the world today, I mean, there are tens of thousands of followers of Jesus that are imprisoned today. And there are many who are being martyred for their faith, even as we speak. So just understand, Jesus knows our hardships and he values our faithfulness. Keep going. He says, verse 10, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. He says, it's not over. There's still more difficulty to come. That there's still hardships that you are going to experience, Christians of Smyrna, 
But don't be afraid. Don't give your heart over to fear. Don't lose it. Don't lose your, your courage. Don't lose heart. Stand there with me. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And there's the thing. Jesus suffered. He told us, you're going to be called to walk the pathway I walk. Take up your cross and follow me. It's the way of hardship. It's the way of suffering. That's the, that's the essence and at the heart of the Christian faith. And they lived this. Many, many, many Christians in the first century really suffered a lot of great hardships. And he says, look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. So he's telling them ahead of time, warning them ahead of time, look, it's going to actually lead for some of you, not all, not the majority, but some of you are actually going to be thrown in prison for this. And this will to test you. And it's not clear here whether this is like we're being tempted to see if we'll stay true. This is like from Satan or it's actually from God who's, who's seeing the reality and the genuineness of our hearts. But no matter what, uh, you get thrown in prison and you can, you're going to feel temptation and God is also refining you as you stay faithful. And he says, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Now, 10 days was a, a common uh, idiom that expressed a relatively short period of time. It may have been exactly 10 days, or it may have been that the community of the faith, various people are going to experience all sorts of threats and possible imprisonment in your community for 10 days, and then it's going to stop. We don't actually know exactly, but there's going to be some short period of this affliction that's coming. And here's the principle. When we think about the future, and we think about our significance and our joy and our security. Jesus is saying, be careful that you don't base it on stuff that's just culturally based. Instead, he says, don't be afraid and do be prepared. There are probably going to be some times in your life and in the years to come where we, you will face suffering because you're a follower of Jesus, if you haven't already. And who knows what will happen in the next months, years, decades to come. Who knows what, what my children or grandchildren will face in our own culture. And he just reassures us here, don't be afraid. I got you. I'm in control. Don't freak out. It's going to be okay. But be prepared. Don't let this be a shock to you. And I, and I was talking to a friend this week and he said, you know, one of the things that is, concerns me is that there's a lot of believers that have been kind of sold this, everything is just blessing and goodness and just happy-go-lucky Disney World Christianity. And they're woefully unprepared for growing hostility. Uh, expectations that will be made that you can't agree to, to and be faithful to Jesus. And so we just need to, 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 to get, be filled with the Holy Spirit every day to be deep in the Word of God, to be in community where we connect with other believers and certainly in, in deep relationship with Jesus so that we're prepared. You know, I, I remember running a track race one time and I, I didn't, I, I was, I kind of got recruited for it at, at intramurals and I was totally unprepared. It was at, it was in, a, it was in a university and they said, hey, you want to run track? And I said, sure, sign me up. And I took some event. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't run hardly at all. And I tried to run that race, and I was, pardon it, my uh, explicitness here, but, um, you know, I was, I was having dry heaves afterwards because I was utterly unprepared for that kind of exertion. And we need to get our hearts ready and, and sink deep roots, and we need to give our kids deep roots 
and our grandchildren deep roots in Jesus so that no matter what hardships we may face, we're faithful. We're not afraid, but we're prepared. Um, he, says, uh, he says this, and, and I recall on one occasion, i got to share this with you guys, I recall on one occasion on being on one of these um, global, uh, global trips to East Asia in a very impoverished area, and uh, we were reaching out, and during our journey, one of the national, not, not the Americans, we were very safe and secure, but one of the nationals was actually arrested while we were there and put in jail at the pr pr uh, police station. Now, God be praised, eventually the people of his own community who were not Christians knew all the good that he had done in that community. They went to the police station and there were a thousand of them that showed up and said, we demand the release of this man because even though we disagree with his faith and we're not ourselves believers in Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. And in that occasion, he was released. So he experienced actual imprisonment. This happened while we were there. So guys, this is a real deal. But he was prepared for that. And the leader of the whole movement, I, I sat, I said, what do you make of all this? And he said, Quentin, I had to wrestle and come to the, the, the reality that I am prepared in this nation and with the kind of hostility that we are experiencing, I'm prepared for the possibility that someday I may go to prison and someday I may even die for Jesus. And I'm, I'm willing to do so and I'm not afraid. There you go. That's what Jesus is saying. And he says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus loves us and he will reward our faithfulness. For some all across the world, not what, normally what we experience, but for some around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they actually are martyred for their faith. They, and they've shown their faithfulness to the point of death. And the promise is, Always be faithful to Jesus, and I will give you the crown of life. What's interesting here, in the ancient world, crowns were very common. You got crowns for athletic achievements, right? You got crowns. Uh, they wore them at parties for celebration purposes. The emperor wore a special crown. Even the city of Smyrna itself, uh, if you looked at it from the distance in the ancient world, there were fortresses, and, and statues and temples that actually from a distance gave the picture of a crown and it was known as the crown of Smyrna. He says, you don't need to seek the crown of Smyrna. I'm gonna give you something much more valuable, the crown of life. That is, Jesus is faithful and he will reward all of us, even if, if we're called to lay down our lives, which frankly, many of us will not ever have to even think about in, in, the, in this culture. But he says, if you, if you are faithful, I will give you the crown of life. I promise you everlasting life, paradise with Jesus. So what you're going to receive is far more than anything you could sacrifice. And this goes for all of life, guys. Jesus repeatedly told his disciples, you know what? You may give up houses or lands or mothers or jobs, whatever it might be. He goes, I'll reward you a hundredfold in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. 
he's going to find ways to reward you. You may not get filthy rich. You, you may not experience every wonderful day after another, but he says, I'm going to reward you and I'm going to bless you in ways that are deep, soul deep, heart deep, that really matter. And in the end, eternal life. He goes in verse um, 11, uh, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. So in this passage, he's saying, listen up. And I would say that to everybody here who's, 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 who's joining us here. Listen to what the Spirit says. Is the Spirit of God speaking to you about where you find your significance, where you find your joy, where you find your security? He says, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, who overcomes, who remains faithful, who doesn't capitulate to just floating downstream with everybody else around you that is unconcerned about pleasing God. He says, you will never be harmed by the second death. In the scriptures, everybody experiences death, pretty much. The first death, physical death. But there's a second death, and that's a spiritual death. That's a separation from God. That's hell. That's lost forever. That's darkness. And that's the second death. And Jesus on another occasion says, don't be afraid of the one who can destroy your body. But be, fear the one. Take seriously the one who can cast you aside and kill this second death. The soul forever lost. He said, that's who we need to take seriously. And so here's what he says is, I promise you, they may harm you, but the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. You have nothing to fear at all. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ and you believe in him and you trust in him, he says, you got nothing to fear because they might kill you physically. That's the extreme. But the second death can never harm you. This is the principle. We need to gain a countercultural perspective of the good life. I think it's just a great reminder today that there are some people in our world today, and certainly in Smyrna 2,000 years ago, that there was a lot of people around them, around us, that are living culturally the good life, and they're finding significance in the approval of the people around them. And they're finding joy in good circumstances and everybody, everything's going great. And they're finding security in the protections that they put around themselves. There's Christians that for some of that, that's been taken away. And that's why Jesus says, you got to find your security. You got to find your joy. And you have to find your significance in me. And you will. I promise you. You will. I end today uh, with the story of an incredible man of God who, following John, eventually, who, who was the leader of, 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 of you know, this group of churches, but eventually this guy became the leader of the church at Smyrna. Uh, he actually knew the apostle John. His name was Polycarp, and he became the leader. And 
in the year 168. I want to read to you from a great book called Jesus Freaks. Um, it says, the kindly old bishop entered the arena under armed guard. The stands were filled with an angry mob. Their shouts filled the air. Suddenly a voice from heaven spoke to the bishop saying, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Despite the noise from the crowd, many of those who stood nearby said they heard the heavenly voice as well. Once inside the arena, the soldiers quickly brought Polycarp before the Roman proconsul. Polycarp, the well-known leader of Smyrna, was the last living link with the 12 apostles as he had studied under the apostle John. As soon as the crowd learned that this famous leader had been arrested, a great cheer went up. The proconsul tried to get Polycarp to deny Jesus Christ in that big arena. Swear by the fortune of Caesar, take the oath and I will release you. Curse Christ. But the bishop stood firm. 86 years I have served the Lord Jesus Christ and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul, the leader of the government, threatened, I have wild beasts ready and I will throw you to them if you do not change your mind. Let them come, for my purpose is unchangeable, said Polycarp. If the wild beasts don't scare you then, I will burn you alive with fire. He said, you threaten me with fire which will burn for an hour and then will go out. But you do not know the fire of the future judgment of God reserved for for the everlasting punishment of the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring on the beasts or the fire or whatever you choose, your call. You shall not move me to deny Christ, my Lord and my Savior. When the proconsul saw that Polycarp would not recant, he sent the herald to proclaim three times in the middle of the stadium, Polycarp has professed himself a Christian. As soon as they heard these words, the whole multitude of Gentiles and Jews furiously demanded that he be burned alive. Immediately dry wood was brought out and heaped in the center of the arena for a bonfire. And when they were about to nail him to the stake, Polycarp said, leave me as I am. He who gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me to remain still and at peace within the fire. They agreed to this and simply tied his hinds behind his back with a rope. In his final prayer, Polycarp prayed, O oh Father, I thank you that you have called me to this day and hour and have counted me worthy to receive my place among the number of the holy martyrs. Amen. As soon as he uttered the word amen, the officers lit the fire. The flame rose high above his body, but the wind and somehow miraculously, well, he was not burned. Those who watched said he was in the midst of the fire, not as burning flesh, but like gold and silver refined in a furnace. This was an amazing miracle of God. And since the fire did not hurt him, the executioner was ordered to stab him with a sword. And as soon as he did so, so much blood flowed from the wound that even some of the flames themselves were extinguished. Lord Jesus, we stand in a long line of amazing faithful followers who have endured difficulties and hardships. And right now, as we come to your table, 
we remember your awesome sacrifice for us with the bread. We, 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 we remember that you shed your blood for us. And Lord Jesus, help us just as you walked faithfully to the cross and were raised to new life. Help us to be faithful for our whole lives and find the resurrection and new life in you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to find our deepest significance in the applause of heaven, our deepest joy in your Holy Spirit, and Lord, our eternal security, not in anything this world offers, but in you, Lord Jesus. We remember you today as we partake the bread and the cup. We glorify you, we adore you, we thank you. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. So now whenever you're ready, just partake of the bread and the cup and remember the Lord Jesus. God bless you all and have a great week ahead.